invest in our time, and we want to do missions everywhere we go. The world is at our doorstep. <laughs> Amen? I mean, the, the, almost every nation of the world is represented right here in Arlington. It's unbelievable. It's a, it's a melting pot, which is why we made this great nation. Hey, come to our borders. Give us your tired, your, 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 your worn out, your weary, your sick. Bring them to us. That's on the statue. That's what the Statue of Liberty represents. Send us your tired, your poor, your destitute. Send them here. We will love them into health. And they're here. They're all over. So we're all in the missions field. But one of the one I want to introduce you to Rocky and Margaret. Would y'all stand and, and Rocky, would you come on up? I want him to tell a little bit. Hey. I want him to tell who he is. Yeah, that's good. What's up, man? Good to see you. Just share your heart, let us know, and we're going to jump in with these guys and become partners with them and see what the Lord does. Part of this uh, journey, uh, the Lord called us about seven years to really take a step of faith and, and step out and, and reach another nation. Uh, I just want to say our hearts are really connected to this church and just the heart of this church, the, the core of this church is to reach out and to not just experience the presence of God here in this room, but to carry that presence of God wherever you go. So as I talk about where I'm going, where Margaret and I are going and our family, just know and put it into your own perspective that you go to a mission field every day, whether it's work or school or, an, or um, a hospital, wherever you go, a grocery store, a gas station, you are carrying the presence of God with you into that environment. And it's not necessarily a godly environment, is it? So it becomes a mission field because it's not a place where God is reigning as Lord and King. God is reigning as Lord and King over our lives, and we carry that kingdom into, the, into those places. And as we reflect the Father's heart, as we, as we are structuring our lives according to the kingdom, then people are like, say, wait, wait, wait a second, you're different. You're, you're not doing it. You're actually being honest? Like, oh, you actually care about me? You actually are going to do the right thing instead of do the easy thing? You see, that's when the kingdom shows up and the people recognize it and they say, okay, Wow, then, then your faith inspires faith in other people, and it begins to transfer. Your, your things that you have built in your life, your character, the principles of the Word of God, and, and the courage to do the Word of God is what builds that environment so that you infect other people. You inspire other people with your faith. So the Lord called us to go to... Um, French-speaking nations. Um, and so the Lord put it on our heart. He gave us, uh, it's, it's our inheritance. Um, God gave us a clear word that this is our inheritance. Uh, Psalm 16 says that I have a good inheritance. And I'm pursuing my inheritance. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of risk. It took a lot of faith on our part to step out. But in, in that environment, God is backing us up. And um, I can't tell you, uh, you know, all the stories, but I'm going to just share just a, a little bit. Uh, and what 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 God has called us to do? What is Belgium? Where is Belgium? Belgium's in Europe. Uh, it's it's below Holland. It's to the left of Germany, and it's above France. It's a little man-made nation. There are there is no group of people called the Belgians. It was created from three different nations. Holland, Germany, and France, they created the nation. They put a, a man to be king over the nation, and uh, they've been structuring this. Why did they create Belgium? Because they did not want war on their own soil. So they created a nation so that if somebody like a Napoleon or a Hitler or somebody like that wanted to take over Europe again, they could take, they could do the battle in Belgium. And guess what? Napoleon was defeated in Waterloo, Belgium. Hitler in World War One, all those trench warfare that you hear, that was Belgian soil. And when you also hear World War Two, World War Two, uh, the Germans 
thought that they could go around the French army and come around from the backside. So they came up through Belgium to try to get behind the French army. So guess what? The war ended up happening in Belgium. This is not only significant in the natural, it's significant in the supernatural. Because now, where does the headquarters of the European Union sit? It sits in Brussels, Belgium. Now, I didn't know all this when I decided to go. I just, you know, blind faith or just trusting God. And as God placed us there, God began to reveal the significance of this nation. So the European Parliament, the decisions happen in Brussels, Belgium. Now, what's important about this is that we need spiritual covering. We need spiritual righteousness to be raised up over this city so that the 28 nations of Europe will make godly decisions or at least make the decisions in a godly atmosphere. So it's like, think about a big umbrella being placed over the city, an umbrella of righteousness, so that when you try to do something unrighteous, this conviction comes and says, that's wrong. You see, that's the, the umbrella of prayer. That's the umbrella covering. Now, God has placed us there. God has, God has inspired us. God's reinforced us, uh, you know, I, I can't tell you that we knew what we were doing. All I can tell you is that we're following God step by step. So since since that time, um, several significant things, the last seven years, significant things have changed and, and things have happened. So uh, one, I'll just give you the highlights here. Um, we do have a website called fourcornersglobal.org, and you can read all of our newsletters, and you can kind of get more of the highlights there, details and but what I'm just saying is uh, a house of prayer was raised up. It's called Brussels House of Prayer. You can look up if you take the initials B H O P dot org. You can find Brussels House of Prayer, or you can just search for it on the online. And through that, it, it's about 26 hours a week of of prayer and intercession are going in into that uh, every week, plus a few extra things each month. But um, uh, God's raising up an intercessory group that will pray over this city. Um, another thing, we've started a youth ministry. We started a men's ministry. We preach in a lot of churches. We're stirring up revival in a Romanian church in Antwerp, Belgium, which is another city. Um, but we're praying for God's revival to begin to take place in that city. So once a month, we gather about 20 pastors, uh, sometimes up to 30 pastors. But Mostly, uh, we gather them and we're inspiring them to how to have revival for their, their their own church. So it's not just like a one church revival. What we need is a citywide revival. So we have a little strategy of reaching the city of Brussels, and we're doing it through relationship and it's long term relationships. God's bless us. We've been able to have Ravi Zacharias come as a as a guest speaker. Uh, we had 1,700 people that came to see him and hear him. We put him in three different cities and uh, had great crowds. Uh, uh, now, what is the environment that we work in? Belgium is a very anti-God location. Why? Because they believe in humanism. They, they don't believe the Bible is the word of God. They think it's a book of good stories. Um, the Roman Catholic Church has been there. 80% of the people will tell you that they are Catholic and yet, the majority of the Catholics don't believe the Bible is actually God's word. So, it's, we, we pray for them, we bless them, and now God is preparing their hearts to receive, not religion again, but Jesus. So, they're, they're in every environment, you have to trust God. It, it's not about, you know, it's just, it's just God is preparing their hearts. So, um we have we have we have a situation where you just you are the minority. If you are a Christian and believe the Bible, you are a minority. The first first person that I witnessed to, he said to me, he looked at me and he says, "You don't really believe the Bible, do you?" And that was my introduction to like the attitude <laughs> that you get in um, in in Belgium. So you're ridiculed, uh, you're mocked 
or you're you're put down if you actually believe the Bible is true. So the thinking has to change, and it has to, you have to infect them. You have to infect them. So I just want to. That's just a brief overview of of what we do. A lot of it's done through prayer and building relationship and inspiring one pastor at a time. It's it's built by just inspiring a a, a youth group to be dynamic and really believe that God is real again, and they begin to reach out to other students. Even atheists have come to our youth group and have stuck around. Not and then you know, you can see the transformation of their lives just because the environment was so healthy, they they want latched on to what we were doing and they, they began to hear the word of God over and over again. They began to receive the love of God. So I want to put it in the context is you many times are the most spiritual person in your environment. Why? Why? Because you are holy? Because you're righteous? What? You know, because you do good things? No, because you're the most connected to God. If you're receiving from God on a constant basis, it's not about how many good things you can do. It's just about receiving more about what God is doing. I'm not righteous because of anything I've done. I've never could earn that myself. I can only receive what God has done for me. And I constantly am in a, in a humble position because of what God has done for me. So we, when we take the gospel, we're not taking like, hey, I know how to do it and you don't. We're just saying, I know how to receive. Do you know how to receive? And you begin to, to inspire them just to receive. Open up your heart and receive. He has more for you. He has more for me. And we keep growing. So, so just that's the most spiritual form and fashion. And you represent Christ in your humility as you walk that way. And talk to people that way. And believe me, right now, God says they're out there. They're right now. There are people that are spiritually hungry and ready. Margaret, come and pinch. I was just going to show I'm going to leave this on the back table. We didn't, we got our PowerPoint didn't work, but there's a bunch of pictures in here. And statistics, sorry, and statistics and stuff if you want to read. But um, here's some things you can take with you. I have little Belgian waffles. And I have prayer cards, and I have, here's a little business card that you can take, and it has our website address on it in case you didn't get that. So just, I'll leave all that stuff in the bag. Mark, you have a prayer for this church, right? Because our, we spend a lot of time praying, and we believe that our prayers can change Brussels. I would feel remiss if I didn't pray for this church before we leave. How many people believe that God answers prayer? Okay. So if you believe that, are you praying for this church every day? Are you praying for your pastors? Are you praying for Jared and Mandy and the team? Everyone's going to nod their head, but you know in your heart if you are. I hope I'm not stepping on any toes, but I, I, during worship, the Lord just put it on my heart, you know, to ask you all to pray for your pastors and for the team because... God wants to do something here in Arlington. I really believe that. And I believe that this church is so special and so powerful. I've loved being here the last few months. So I'm going to pray, but I want to, I'm going to pray for you. But I want you to, in your heart, as the Lord leads you, to make a commitment to pray. Even if it's just put a little post-it on when you're brushing your teeth and just say, I lift up Jared and Mandy today. I lift up the Bridge Church today. So let me pray. Father, I thank you for the Bridge Church. Lord, I thank you for Jared and Mandy and the team and and the heritage that, that's in this church, even beyond what's here in Arlington. But God, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would rest upon this church. Lord, I pray for every person that's a member and those that are visiting and those that care and those that you're drawing to care, Lord, to lift up this church. Father, that they would become intercessors for this church. Lord, we pray for your purposes to be established right here in Arlington, Lord, that you would touch the city, that you would touch the neighborhood. Lord, that you would touch and bring heaven to earth here in this place, Lord. I thank you, God, that this is your desire. Lord, it's not us. Lord, we can be happy all by ourselves, but, Lord, it's your desire to see your kingdom extended. So, Father, I just want to agree with you, Lord, for your kingdom to come and your will to be done at the Bridge Church. In Jesus' name, amen.
We want to pray for the event coming up. Um, just what's the date and who's going to be there? April the 12th, 13th, and 14th, we have an event called The Sound. Uh, we're inviting um, leaders. But uh, Louis Evil will be in Brussels during that time. And um, many of the people in Brussels have never heard of Louis Evil, maybe mm-hmm. you have. Maybe yeah. Have. But um, he's just a powerful prayer warrior, uh, believes in prayer and fasting, believes in changing nations through prayer and fasting. So The Sound event is a all about that. And so after the April 12th, 13th, 14th, then we're going to call a fast. And uh, our team will be fasting and praying all the way through May the 25th. Some of us will go all the way to May the 29th. And um, so just uh, what we, we want you to pray for us for that event. Uh, just that the people, the right people will be there. We're only going to do it for about 350 people. Um, we have small buildings in Belgium. <laughs> so uh, that's that's one situation that um, we just, anyway, Louis Eagle is, is just a dynamic person. He's inspiring us to to fast and to pray and to see our nation transformed. Good. So let's pray. W- would you stand? We're going to pray for that event. And uh, again, this we just met them in the past year. And the first time I met him, I remembered who he was. There was this connection, and I felt like it was for a reason. And then we've gotten to see Margaret a, a lot more. He's in and out of the country. And I just feel like there's supposed to be something on this that we're supposed to partner with them. And this is, this is the beginning of a relationship that's going to go on for however long they're willing to go along with this. And so in a minute, we are going to say, if you want to give to their ministry, right? If you're writing a check, just put to the Bridge Church. We'll give them one check. We want to honor your ministry and begin... Uh, financially helping and supporting. We travel back and forth. We know it is, it's an expensive thing. And then we want to plan a trip at some point where anyone that wants to go over there and go on the streets and pray and whatever they want us to do, clean, clean the building, whatever they need us to do, we want to do it. So let's pray for their event. Um, Kyle will bring the buckets up if you want to give as well. And uh, so, God, we just thank you because you raise up people that just say yes. <laughs> I love that I, I am always inspired when I'm around people that say yes to do things that other people would be afraid to do or wouldn't even think to do. And so, God, we honor their yes today. I honor their yes when they said yes to you. And so we want to jump in and we want to help carry the burden and the weight of what they're doing. God, I know it's, it's, it's your will that's being stirred up inside of this city, inside of this, this country. And so, God, we ask that you bless this event, the sound. I ask that it would be a sound that's like a tuning fork. That when the initial sound hits, that it causes all the other sounds and voices of the nation to come into tune with the original sound. God, we ask that you bless Rocky and Margaret. We ask that you bless their family, bless their connections and relationships. I, I know, God, that the key to ministry in a, in a nation like they're in is relational. It's going to be relational, and it's going to be on the power of the gospel. We ask that you would stir up greater connections, greater relationships, new connections, new inroads into influence, God. And I ask that you would stir up signs and wonders and miracles that will confirm the gospel, that the gospel will be confirmed by these signs and wonders. And we just thank you for it. And then personally, we ask that you bless Rocky and Margaret. We ask that you bless their business dealings here in the States. We ask that you bless them as they travel back and forth, that you make things easy for them. And we ask that you bless them abundantly. We, we pray that their house that they're trying to sell would sell for the amount they need to sell it for. <laughs> in Jesus' name, we ask for favor in that situation, God. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. We love you guys. Bless you, man. Bless you. Yeah. So if you want to give, you can go ahead and do that. And we're just going to jump into uh, finish out the service here. <clears throat> thank you, Lord. I want to be a part of what God is doing. I don't, I don't care where it is, when it is. You guys with me on that? Amen. Amen. Well, why don't you pray with me for uh, the rest of this time? We're just going to. Ask the Lord to speak to our hearts. God, we thank you for your your word. We ask that you would stir up a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we may know you better. We ask that you would, God, I ask now that you would be lifted up in this place. That in our consciousness, God, that you would be exalted. That we would respect and revere you and be in awe of you the way you deserve. I ask that you would begin to stir up now the fear of the Lord. 
I, ask, I know you're rebirthing this in us. And I ask that now those, that deep place in you calling to the deep place enough in us starts with the fear of the Lord. And I ask that you would stir that up today, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. I was going to uh, do the talk about sexual immorality today, and I felt the Lord say to shift things around. So if you came expecting for me to talk about that, we will do that next week, Lord willing. I'm going to start saying Lord willing on everything instead of just saying, I'm going to do that because the plans change a lot. Now I know why my dad and my grandparents and all them say that. I'm learning. I'm a slow learner, but I'm learning. Uh, Lord willing, next week I'm going to get into uh, the purity side of what se- why sexual immorality is the issue that it is and why we need to be pure and holy people when it comes to sex. Amen? God created sex, and He said it was good. It was for us. It was His gift to us. And it's only good when it's in his, under His authority and His way. Any other way, it leads to destruction and pain and suffering and everything else so amen so today i um i want to talk about again we're talking about a series on purity and why it matters and uh today i want to talk about purity and the fear of the lord and so if you want to open to james chapter four i'm going to read this um it's it's a it's mainly mainly what i'm going to uh, share is an anchor point for us to to tie everything else to in our life um proverbs says the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom it's the beginning of knowledge and and it's it's not talked about a whole lot anymore because fear to us, we hear fear, we think it's bad. Let's throw fear away. We're not supposed to be fearful. But no, there is a fear, a godly fear that's supposed to grip the hearts of every one of his sons and daughters. And it's a good fear. And so I want to read from James chapter 4 and um, then we're just going to go with this, all right? James 4 verse 1, it says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within? You want something, but you don't get it, so you kill and you covet, but you cannot even have what you want. You quarrel and you fight, and you do not even have, because you do not ask God. And when you do ask God, you do not receive, because you ask with the wrong motives. Ouch. <laughs> that you may spend it, spend what you get on your own pleasures. And he says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred or enmity toward God? That word enmity, anyone else remember where that word enmity is in the Bible? In Genesis, I'll give you a clue. He, when, when the curse was spoken over Adam and Eve for their sin, he, he was speaking to Eve and he goes, I'm going to put enmity, enmity between your seed and the serpent. Enmity, it's that same word. And so whenever we become friends with the world, with the prince and the power of the air of the world, then we are on the opposite side of what he intended and we're actually at odds with God. We are an enemy of God. Uh, Paul even talks about in other places that when we were ungodly and when we were in our, lost in our ways of sin and our, nature, our sin nature uh, co- commanded control over us, we were objects of wrath. We were by nature objects of wrath toward God. We were used in this power struggle between the enemy and God to, to try to cause pain to God and we were used as, as objects of wrath. And so he's saying, don't do this. Don't be friends with the world. It's hatred, it's enmity towards God. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Ow, I don't want to be God's enemy. I didn't think he had any enemies. It says right here. (laughs) Or do you think that scripture says without reason that his spirit in us envies intensely? His spirit is jealous for us. Like the song, he is jealous for me. He's jealous. His spirit inside of me is jealous for my whole being to be completely given over to becoming a son or a daughter. It's jealous for God. And then he says, but he gives us more grace. That's why the scripture says, God, if you're reading your Bible, read it out with me. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God actually sets himself against the proud but will hum, will, be, will give grace to the humble. And so submit yourselves then to God. What's the first part? Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And then it says come near to God and he will come near to you. And we're going to stop there. Purity can only come from a place of humility. It is impossible for me to stir up purity outside of a posture of humility. God actually opposes the proud. He is, 
his, his purposes and his plan are against the plans of the ungodly. They're contrary. They're on opposite sides of each other. But he gives grace to those who humble themselves. What do we know that grace is? It's the empowering presence of God. So how do I, like he talked about an umbrella coming over me, his banner over me is love. How do I bring myself under the umbrella of his grace? I have to humble myself before him. And we don't really even know what humble means anymore. We, we just don't. When we hear an athlete say, oh, you just scored 47 points at your career high. You had a triple-double. And he's like, oh, I just want to thank my teammates. And we, oh, and he's so humble. That's not humility. It's not humility to say, oh, it's because of everyone else around me. Humility is a whole lot deeper than me being able to say, I didn't get here by myself. Humility, the actual root of humility is me on my face recognizing God for who he really is. There's no humility outside of on my face before God. It's just not. (laughs) When we bring ourselves to this place of humility, then the atmosphere shifts and it becomes an atmosphere of grace. Whereas when I'm in a place of arrogance and pride before God, the atmosphere is God's opposed to me. I'm, a, I'm an enmity with God. I'm an enmity with Him. I am an enemy, and I am struggling and fighting against Him. But when I bow myself to Him, and I humble myself before Him, I now have come into an atmosphere of heaven that's, that's actually called grace, and it empowers me to do what I couldn't do on my own. We read the scripture last week from Matthew 5, 8, and it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And uh, in Psalm 24, I'm going to go through this quickly because I, I just want to drive this point home today. It's very important for every, everything else that we do. Uh, Psalm 24, verse 3 through 6 says, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? And who may stand in his holy place? And then it gives the answer. I love it when God asks a question and then he answers his own question. <laughs> he says, He who has clean hands and a pure heart who has not lifted his soul. We're really in this, this learning place of soul and spirit, how to, how, how to manage between what soul and what spirit. And he says, who has not lifted his soul to idols or has not sweared falsely, sworn falsely, he will receive blessing from the Lord. And this is the generation of those who seek your face, O God of Jacob. See, there's, there's a subtle trap that we have to be aware of in a kingdom culture. And what I mean by kingdom culture is where we, where everything that we do is cultural and it's an attempt to, to recreate heaven on earth. <clears throat> That's a kingdom culture. In other words, we want the feel, the atmosphere, the way we do business, the way that we make decisions, the way we treat one another, the way we respond to God to be the way God intended it when he first set us up to be his sons and daughters. That's a kingdom culture. It's not a kingdom culture just because we read the Bible and we pray. It has to infect and affect the way we do life, or it's not a kingdom culture. But here's what happens, and you guys know me. You know one of the messages I love to talk about is how God is so good. There's no one better than Him. He's better than we can imagine, and that's absolutely true. And everything that we do, when I talk to other people and I'm trying to, I want to entice them into falling in love with God, it's really easy for me because I feel like God's good and I can talk about him as a good dad. I really am comfortable with that. But here's what happens is in that culture, we can lull ourselves to sleep with the goodness of God and forget that, yeah, he's as holy as he is good. He's as holy as he is good. He's as just as he is good. He's as righteous as he is kind. He hates sin as much as he loves when we do the right thing. There's the tension between this. God is, he's both sides. And what what we can do in this kingdom culture is we can overemphasize the goodness of God to where the only way we can receive from God is if it comes from us. And this this has been a few month message where God's been dealing with me. Um, just talking with him and working some things out and, and me becoming more comfortable with God yelling at me if he wants to. <laughs> I was telling my dad a few weeks ago 
the things that the Lord's doing in me. And I, and I said, hey, Dad, God should be able to curse me out if he wants to, and I receive it from him. Oh, no, God would never do that. God should be able to talk to me any way he wants to, any tone, and not have to give an explanation. Oh, I'm talking to you like this because you... He should be able to just talk to me in any way. And my posture is, yes, sir. Okay, God, I receive that from you. God's kind, so he doesn't want to hurt us. So I don't have to worry about him hurting me or treating me like a, a bad father or abusive father. He's not like that. And we've got that message down. We talk about it all the time. He's so good. He's a good father. So when he wants to yell at me, he has every right to yell at me. When he wants to tell me to get on my face and repent, I should be, yes, sir, you're right, God. There should be nothing in my heart that is at odds with him or resists him. All resistance in me should be toward the enemy, toward the flesh, toward the soul. There should be zero resistance inside of us toward the voice of the Lord. I don't... I used to say, I can hear anything from anybody as long as they say it to me the right way. <laughs> Are you all like that too? You can say anything you want if you say it with a smile on your face. Like, bless your heart, you know. <laughs> you know what we're saying in the South, when you say bless your heart with a smile on your face, you're really being mean. <laughs> but but I, if they just approach me the right way, if they will, if they will say it to me the right way, if they will come to me with the right attitude, if, I, if they make sure and profess their love for me before they talk to me, then they can correct me and say whatever they want. That's not submission. That's not humility. That is demanding every, everyone else to come to me in a way that I'm comfortable with. And I never have to surrender. I never have to submit. I ne never have to bow my will because I'm demanding that everything else demands its will to me. And God is not going to bow his will to what I want. He's not going to change his message for me just because I don't want to hear it that way. I don't think God even thinks, oh, I might need to reword this because Jared doesn't do well when I talk to him like this. <laughs> he talks the way he wants to talk to me. He talks the way he wants to talk to us. And that's why we miss it sometimes. We miss his voice because it didn't come in the package we expected, so we rejected it. And he just keeps talking the same way. I'm not changing the subject. It's easy for us in this culture to mistake God's goodness for passivity, for weakness. It's easy for us to mistake His goodness as unconditional acceptance. Unconditional acceptance. There's no such thing in the kingdom as unconditional acceptance. There's unconditional love that never shifts, that never changes. God will always love everybody the same. He just loves us. But that doesn't mean that He accepts what we do or the way we are. It doesn't change how he feels to us. It doesn't change his motives for our life. They're good. It's to prosper us. But when I am in a place of arrogance before him, he does not accept my arrogance. I'm talking about purity. That's a big deal. The, the reason this is so important is because I, I, I love that Margaret feels the same way that we feel and, and I hear other people. I feel like God's doing something in Arlington and I feel like we're going to be a part of it. I don't feel like we're the part of it. I feel like we're a part of it. I really do. And I love that people are feeling this and sensing this. And I know that anything's possible. But the only way that this will happen is if there is a distinct difference between the ungodly kingdom or the ways of the world and the kingdom of light. That's the only way this is going to work is where people, like, like Rocky was saying, where people notice there's a distinct difference between the way you live, the way you operate, the way you respond, than the, versus the way I respond. And I like the way you're responding. There's something different about it that's enticing. It's attractive. And this is the only way that we're going to do this is to be people of purity. We can condition ourselves to only respond to him when he deals kindly with us and then ignore conviction and call it condemnation. So here's the point. 
we have to come to the place where we actually love conviction. Like we welcome it. God, I, I need to be convicted of anything I'm not doing right. We have to be comfortable with the discipline of the Lord. Lord, you don't have to strap me down to discipline me. I will gladly bend over the bed. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I will not fight you. I will not put a fight up against you. I will submit to your discipline. We have to begin to say, God, make me love discipline. Because he only disciplines the people he loves, which he loves everyone. And he only prunes the fruitful. If we don't want to be fruitful, then, then we can just stay in a place where we hide from his pruning shears. But if we're fruitful in our life, pruning is there because he wants to say, you're doing so good here that if we just trim a little bit here and a little bit there, you'll be even more fruitful. And then we're like, oh, thank you, Jesus, I'm more fruitful. And he goes, well, you know what? I think actually if we take a little bit off over here and even a little bit over here, you'll be even more fruitful. It's a process. It continues and goes on and on and on. Amen? Listen to Job's response to God. God did not treat Job very nicely. The biblical account of Job's life, Job was not treated very kindly. He lost everything. From tornadoes to having a plague on his own body where he's scraping boils with clay because it hurt so bad. He had pottery and he's just itching to get some relief. He lost his whole family. He lost all of his wealth, all of his homes, all of his livestock. Everything that brought life to him was gone. And then this is what Job says. Even if God kills me, I will serve him. Oh my God. Even if God takes his hand and strikes me down and kills me, I will still serve him. That is humility. God's not going to do that to me. God doesn't want to do that to me. But you know what, God? Whatever you want to do, I submit to you. Think about the picture of Isaac and his father Abraham. How many watched the TV story, the Bible, when it was on TV and saw that the Abraham Isaac thing. If you don't, get the CDs and go watch and look for the Abraham Isaac where Isaac's trust in his father as they went to make the sacrifice was unbelievable in the story. Isaac knew where they were going. Isaac knew what it required to offer a sacrifice before God. Isaac knew there was nothing in their possession to sacrifice to God. He knew and he went with his father. Abraham tells Isaac to help build this altar and then tells him to get up on the altar. And Isaac climbs up on the altar of his father. Because God told Abraham, his dad, to do it. Isaac laying there. His father takes the dagger. I can just, I can't even imagine. I can't even. Abraham trusted God so much. That with his promise, his promise is laying here. The promise he cried out for. The promise that almost destroyed his life when he tried to do it another way is laying on this altar. And he's going to kill his own son. And he's like, the Lord will provide all the way up there. And the Lord hadn't provided. And as he's about to kill it, he hears a ram stuck in the bushes. And he didn't have to ask, God, is that you? He knew God. He knew God, and Isaac just laying there. Think about the lesson that they learned and the bond that was created between father and son and the trust that they had with one another and with God. He just laid there. I trust you. Do we feel that way with God? Are we the potter, pot, the, the, the clay on the potter's wheel where we lay there and say, God, do whatever you want with me. If you have to take me and crush me and throw me on the ground and rework me, do it. I'm fine with that. You're the potter. I'm the clay. I'll read one more thing and then we'll close it out. Isaiah chapter 6. I got it marked here. <clears throat> got so many marks in my Bible. All right, Isaiah 6, let's read verse 1 through 8 real quickly, all right? It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. 
And above him were seraphs, and each of them with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And here's Isaiah's response to seeing the Lord. Woe to me, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among unclean people. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the angels flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin has been atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. And then it goes on and the Lord says, Well then here, go and say this. Here's the point to all of this. When Isaiah saw the Lord, the only appropriate response was for for him to fall and melt into a puddle on the floor and say, woe to me, I should be killed right now. How have I seen the King of Kings, the King of the universe? How have I seen him with my eyes and how am I still alive? I am so unclean. I am not pure in any way. Now listen to me. When we see the Lord and he becomes the standard, the only appropriate response for our heart is to say, God, I'm not clean. In comparison to you, God, I will never be clean. Now listen to me. This is really important. When we see God and our response is, I'm unclean, I'm impure, there's nothing good inside of me. Please don't kill me, God. That's a place of humility. It's a place of submitting and humbling myself before God. It's not me cursing myself. It's me praising the holiness of God. That's why it's not condemnation. It's conviction. Whenever everyone stands before God on, our day, on the day of judgment, none of us is going to be able to stand in His presence. There's not going to be this, do I stand, do I kneel, it's kind of awkward, I don't know if I respect Him or not. There's not going to be any of this going on. Our bodies are going to fall before Him. The Bible says that hills melt like wax in His presence. When we see Him, the only appropriate response, regardless of how good we are, is God, I'm not good. Now, outside of that, resp- outside of that encounter, any time I say I'm un- unholy, I'm impure, I'm wicked, I'm horrible, any time I do that outside of as a response to seeing Him, that's condemnation. Because it's self-evaluation. I'm saying these things not because I see how awesome He is, but because I'm looking inward and I see how horrible I am. That's condemnation. But when I see him and my response is, man, I am horrible. I'm a sin. I got to get cleaned up. Pure, please don't kill me, God. That's a good response. That's a response of the humble. And here's what happens when we do that. In, in the right atmosphere, I see God. I bow myself before him. I humble myself before him. He always takes a coal from the altar and blots out our sin and atones for our wickedness. Always. So whenever I see him and I fall on my face, he's always going to come to me and say, hey, you're my son, and now you're clean because of my son. Outside of that encounter, I will never feel good about myself. I will never feel the coal from the altar come and make me clean and pure. All I will do is always see how bad I am. The goal of humility is to not feel how bad, see how bad we are and feel bad about ourselves. The goal of humility is to see how awesome He is. That's it. He said, I saw the Lord. My eyes have seen the King. And I'm still alive. Look how holy He is. He saw all the activity of heaven. Holy, holy is the Lord. The earth's shaking. The doorposts are shaking. And He falls on His face. And it's time for that type of fear to grab the hearts of the church again. For us to begin to look for Him, to fix our eyes on Him. And when we see Him, it's okay for me to say I'm wicked. It's okay for me to realize, oh my God, compared to Him, I am nothing. It's okay to feel that. It's not wrong, church, for us to be convicted by the holiness of God. It's not. It's so good for us because the Bible says that when we're in that atmosphere, He always purifies us. He always atones. And then He pulls us up and says, Hey, uh, 
I love this. He enticed Isaiah into the mission field. Isaiah sees all of this activity, and then God goes, hmm, who should we send? And Isaiah's like, I'm still here, God. Take me. Pick me. I can just see him getting his attention. God, pick me. That's what happens in that environment. We see him. We fall on our face. God, we are unclean. God responds and says, okay, now you're clean. And then he will entice us into activity that makes him happy. (sighs) The key to this is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. Remember a few weeks ago, um, I, I told you what the Lord was telling me that, that repentance is a heart condition. It's not like a targeted response. And we like, take out this laser of repentance and we point at one thing in our life. It, it either affects our whole being or it's not real repentance. Purity is the same way. If I, if I have an impurity in my life and I'm submitting that to the Lord and saying, God, I, I need to be pure. The purity will affect every area of my life. It has to. If, if I, let's just say there's a wicked businessman and he's not handling the money of his business very well and he goes before God and says, God, I recognize I've, I've been cheating on my taxes or whatever it is. And God says, very good for you to recognize that. Thank you for humbling yourself. Now the message of purity is going to begin to affect every area of that person's life or it's not real purity. I can't say, oh God, you can only deal with this part of me. He either affects all of me or ultimately none of me. That's the humility that's, I'm falling on my face, God. Whatever you want to point out right now, it's up to you. You can crush my world right now if you want to, God. If you kill me, I'll still love you. I'll still serve you. It has to be okay. It has to be okay with us as a church. This has to shift in our mindset. Any attempt to restrict God access to any area of my life has to be uprooted. I'm going to close with that thought. Any attempt that I have to restrict God access to an area of my life is arrogance before God. It's arrogance, and it has to be uprooted. Now, we've been doing this in our home for about a year now where I've been, been trying to raise my sons to call evil, evil, and good, good. Not, not to mix. Oh, that's, it's, that's not that bad. Not that bad. You know those things that we say. No, let's call a spade a spade. Evil is evil. Impurity is evil. Uh, Homosexuality is evil. Just as much as promiscuity is evil. Sin is just sin. It's evil. Period. There's no, this one's worse. Evil is evil. And so, so for that... For that to stir up inside of our hearts, we have, to, we have to be okay with God redefining some things for us. God has to be able to define things. Remember, whoever, makes the, whoever defines the words wins the argument. We have to get back as a church to a place where God defines what's right and what's good and what's pure and what's holy. And we don't add to it or take away from it at all. And then there has to be this prevailing attitude in the church that says, God... You have full access, all access, all access to my life. I will not, in arrogance, build any wall to try to keep you from a part of my heart. Amen. Would you stand? And we're gonna, we're just gonna make this a place an altar. I'm gonna have Kyle come up. He's just gonna play a song that we had. Uh, I'd like for him to play from before. It's, it's a simple song, but it, it's just the, it's a prayer. And so I want him to play that, and I want you to. Come to the front, whatever you need to do, it's up to you. Isaiah didn't have to be told what to do when he saw the Lord. He just fell. He just responded to God. And I want our church to be that way. So I want to pray one prayer, and then I want us to to go to our own place. If you need personal prayer at the end, come to the front. Someone will meet you, all right? Uh, So, God, we thank you because you are holy and you're pure, and you still search us out. (laughs) You still pursue us, and, and you've invited us into your family. Even knowing what you know, you gave us an invitation to sit at your table, God. And not only that, you gave us the right to bear your name on us. Like you, you said it was okay for me to say I'm, I'm of Christ. I'm, I'm a follower of God. 
I'm a son of God. I'm a child of God. You, you gave, even knowing what you know, you made me a son. You made us sons and daughters. So God, we ask that you would stir up inside of us real humility. Help us to submit our ways to you. God, I ask that you would begin to stir up encounters from Isaiah 6 in our life, where we begin to see you as you really are, and that we respond appropriately every time, that we do not withhold from you. How could we withhold from you? You withheld nothing from us. And your plans for us are good. Your intentions are not to harm us. So what are we afraid, afraid of? I really feel, God, that it's not fear. I really feel that it's rebellion. It's not fear. It is rebellion. It has to be dealt with. God, help us to uproot this in our lives. God, make the bridge pure and holy. We know it's not our behavior. It's, it's, our, it's our relational connection to you that makes us holy. Help us to be a pure light, a pure voice in the city, God. Teach us. Part of my 
this life and breathe on this heart that is now yours <laughs> you can have it all every part of my Take this life and breathe on This heart that is now yours <laughs> You can have it all yeah. Every part of my world Take this life and This heart is now yours. God, we ask that you remove all rebellion from our hearts. Pray that this will be a place where rebellion goes to die. Welcome you, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is the spirit of holiness. <laughs> God, we welcome the Holy Spirit. We want you, Holy Spirit, to have a place of preeminence and honor that you deserve to have in this house and in our lives. We ask that you would renew our connection to the spirit of holiness. We give up our rights to be offended, God. We give up our rights to be angry and frustrated. We give up our rights to rebel. We even give up our rights to our own personal opinions. Ouch. <laughs> What we think doesn't really even matter, God. What do you think? <laughs> I think that. Whatever you think, that's what I think, God. I agree with you, God. Thank you, Lord. 
If you're praying, just keep praying. If you would like prayer for healing or whatever, like we said, we pray for you at the front. If you want a fellowship, we want you to. Just please do so in the foyer. And uh, be blessed. We love you guys. You can stay as long as you want to, all right?